Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? It's going good. I'm feeling appreciated this week, Amy. Are you now? How's that? Because this Sunday is Baptist Media Sunday in the SBC. There you go. I think we qualify in that. Does that include podcasters? Well, we are an award-winning Baptist podcast. Of course you would say that. All right. Then Sunday will be appreciated. Yes. So Sunday I'm expecting to be recognized at church and lauded and a special offering taken up for me. Well, let me know if that if that works out for you. Not, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't, I don't think it is. I really don't. But we did have a children's ministry Sunday. Yes. And, and Beth was lauded and recognized in a special offering taken up. No, it wasn't. So never okay. mind. But yeah. children's ministry Sunday, a focus on it, which this yes. was the first children's ministry Sunday. This was the first one. It just went on, just went on the calendar as a result of Zach McCullough's motion from a year ago, which is always uh, fun to see. This is watching the process in action that your church right outside of Nashville, Tennessee had a time for the church to focus on what they are doing and other Southern Baptist churches are doing in children's ministry because Zach had an idea in Alabama. So yes. it's pretty cool. Yeah. I would be interested to find out how many churches recognize every Sunday in the Southern Baptist calendar. My hunch is some churches probably are not aware of it. And so that's something that people like us, Baptist media, can step in on and, and try to keep telling that story and reminding people. Maybe one or two acknowledge every date. I'm going to guess most. It just depends on what it is that some of them did. Mm-hmm. Like like Sanctity of Life Sunday. Yeah, that Sunday's a big Sunday. Everybody usually. does that. So I would... Yeah, global hunger relief. Right. So I would think you're going to have some that just do certain dates and, and don't you know, catch everyone. It's like we have the majors and then the regular tournaments, and a lot of churches celebrate the, the majors. Right, right. Well... So so Global Hunger Relief would be like the British Open, and Sanctity of Life Sunday would be like the Masters. Well, let me know if they ask you to stand on Sunday. Um, I'm gonna, <laughs> that would be so I'm going to predict no, but... I, I'm hoping right. no. But it is a great... that would be really It awkward. is a great reminder that the role of media in Southern Baptist life is very important, which I've actually got something interesting in my segment later, which is going to highlight some of the work that Baptist media uh, did cool. a number of years ago. So anyway. Well, let's jump into this uh, once again, as always, sponsored this week by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary up in Louisville, Kentucky. If you're not casual about your faith, your Christian college should not be either. As the undergraduate school of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Boyce College exists to prepare men and women for gospel service in areas like biblical studies, business, teaching, ministry, and more. Study on campus in Louisville or online. You can learn more at boycecollege.com. So as someone who has a, a, a child heading to college in a few years, Amy? Yes. Something that we're considering. Yes. I know you, you've got one at the same age. Right. So, three, yeah. we got three years left. And she's headed to college. Hey, I wonder if we can turn this um, long-standing sponsorship with Southern into some tuition payments there. It seems like when I calculate how much tuition is, and I calculate the average, you know, sponsorship because I, you know, I, I work for an institution and we get sponsorships. It that's a little steep. That's a little steep to pay mm. for a sponsorship. So I'm going to guess. Yeah. Uh, that's that's probably off the table. But but if they want to put it on the right. table, but we can spend 
always, always. But we can speak as people who are thinking about this because we are parents of the yeah. kids. Uh, Mary's going into the 10th grade. Drew's going into the 9th grade. So we're we're going to yeah. start thinking about this a lot in the next few years. All right. Some big news this week, Amy, out of Nashville at the executive committee. Augie Bodo, the longstanding vice president for convention policy and also the executive vice president of the executive committee, announced his retirement this week. This hit on Tuesday. It dropped in Baptist Press. It really came in a July 18th letter notifying EC President and CEO Ronnie Floyd of his retirement. Augie Boto joined the EC as a committee member in 95, which is when Ronnie Floyd began his service as EC chairman. So they actually worked oh. together many, many years ago. Then in 1998, he left the executive committee as a committee member to join the staff as vice president for convention policy and then became executive vice president and general counsel in 2007. So he has been at the EC for 21 years. He also served as the interim That's president correct. last year. That's correct. So this is a, this is a really big announcement uh, after you know, over two decades, he's had quite an impact on Southern Baptist life. I've known him for a few years, ever since I joined the team of parliamentarians, so have worked with him during the annual meeting. And he's had a tremendous influence on the Southern Baptist Convention, even uh, even in ways that, that people didn't realize, just because the role of convention policy is often overlooked, but it is integral to our process. Yes. So I think a lot of people encountered Augie when he served as interim president, but he has been right in the middle of things for over two decades. Yeah. It's been a mainstay in, in what's gone on under now three executive committee presidents, uh, came in with Dr. Chapman and served under Dr. Page and now with Dr. Floyd. So uh, he has a wealth of institutional knowledge. Uh, and he mentioned in his letter, he, he said he would continue to be of service as needed, if needed, in the future. So we'll have to see how his departure shakes up things at the executive committee. Uh, Augie is a, a fellow churchman with me. He's a Sunday school teacher like I am at Forest Hills. So I'll, I'll see him routinely from time to time at church. So it'd be good to see him in his future retirement years. He said he's going to take a little sabbatical and then uh, see where the Lord leads him to serve next. So congratulations to him. Very much so. And one thing that he has always been involved in is uh, the role of laymen in Southern Baptist life. That's been a theme in his entire ministry, even before he came on staff at the EC. So I'm sure we will continue to see that. Also, just a note, he has always been good if there were questions or needs for resource for this podcast to explain a particular process or if mm -hmm. something was happening at the executive committee and we needed to understand specifically the search process when the search committee was chosen at the EC, because that was very complicated. Remember the whole EC voted for all yeah. of those members. He took the initiative and reached out to right, us right. And, and let us know, kind of walked us through all the right, details. So of that. that we could explain it here. So it, and he, he does the orientation for messengers every year. So it is important to him that people know the processes. 
Yes, and uh, given a life to Southern Baptist. I mean, he's not only, you mentioned his uh, service at the EC, but he served in lay leader roles and, and was very instrumental in the conservative resurgence and, and has a lot of family connections to Southern Baptist ministry. His grandfather, uh, T.W. Medeiros, served as the executive director of the Missouri Baptist Convention more than half a century ago. So he has given his life to Southern Baptist. We appreciate his service and wish him all the best in retirement. All right, Amy, some other news this week. There was a, a trailer for a upcoming video from Founders Ministries that, that drew some feedback from uh, some of the participants in the trailer, especially four of our seminary presidents, Dr. Aiken, Dr. Allen, Dr. Moeller, and Dr. Greenway, all had been interviewed for this. Uh, they all came out and, and stated that their involvement in the film uh, was not quite what they expected when they saw the trailer. All four of them released a statement via Twitter and other methods about the documentary. Uh, Dr. Aiken wrote, What I saw was edited footage that I believe to be misleading, which misrepresents important issues and what leaders in the SBC actually affirm. He also voiced concern about, quote, what the tone, tenor, and content of the full documentary will be, and I have requested that my association with and contribution to this film be removed. I hope my brothers will reconsider their strategy for communicating our deeply held Southern Baptist conviction that the Bible is our sole foundation and authority for all of life and faith. Founders has not released a release date or response to these statements uh, by our four seminary presidents that were in that. So we've had some others. Uh, Mark Dever and Jonathan Lehman also released a statement about their involvement in it, saying uh, basically that they affirmed what Dr. Aiken had written and had asked to be removed. So uh, we will see how that shakes out. That's been dominating the social media right. sphere of the Southern Baptist Convention this week. So yeah. uh, a lot of people obviously have seen that and uh, commented on that, a lot of discussion on that. But if anything else changes... We'll keep an eye out for that and report it here on the podcast. Amy, we uh, the credentials committee that we set up at the SBC annual meeting in Birmingham, they met this week by video conference for the first time and elected Stacey Bramlett as the chair. They met July 22nd, and I guess this was their first act would be to elect a chair. So Stacey Bramlett is Senior Vice President of Independent Bank in Collierville. She's been on the Executive Committee since 2016 and served as the Secretary of the Executive Committee from 2017 to 2019. So remember, the Credentials Committee has three members that are nominated by the Executive Committee, and so she is one of those. She's a member of Collierville First Baptist Church. That's West Tennessee. Yes, I know. I know my Tennessee geography now. That is West Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. So it seems like that was their first big action and we will, we wish them well as they head into this next year and do their job. They'll really have to set that this will be a time where they set a lot of precedent for uh, the future. We're getting to see the beginning of a standing committee work, which, you know, uh, for me, from a procedural standpoint, I find very interesting. We're all, uh, I think, attentive to the work of this committee, But uh, some of it, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of nuts and bolts and will be very important going forward. Yes, uh, absolutely. And uh, congratulations to Stacy on being named that Credentials Committee chairperson. All right, up to Kentucky, Amy. Todd Gray, the new executive director of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. I'd heard this was coming in July. And here it is. Todd Gray will be the 29th executive director treasurer of the Kentucky Baptist 
convention. 14-member search team named him. He has served churches in Kentucky and Indiana for 20 years before he joined the staff of the KBC in 2012 as a regional consultant for Western Kentucky. And then in 2016, he came on as the team leader for the Evangelism Church Planting and Campus Ministry team. So uh, there was a great quote from Paul Chitwood. Todd Gray is as passionate a soul winner as I've met. Thankfully, he has a heart for the lost, not only in Kentucky, but among the nations. I couldn't be more pleased about his appointment and look forward to working with him as he leads Kentucky Baptists to reach Kentucky and the world for Christ. So another state convention post has now been filled. Yeah, that leaves three that are unfilled, the Dakotas, West Virginia, and Mississippi. And uh, I think of the three, I would expect Mississippi to be the next one to be filled because it was the next one to open. Right. So that's usually how that works. Yes, that is. <laughs> so, uh, but speaking of West Virginia, uh, just, just to note, Cletus Campbell has been named the interim exec. He's a pastor in Huntington, West Virginia, and has been there for the past 46 years in Huntington, which is about 45 minutes from Scott Depot, where the office is located uh, just outside of Charleston. So congratulations to Cletus Campbell. And uh, he'll serve as the interim while they search for their next executive director. They have not provided a lot of information yet about the details of the search committee and uh, how to apply for that post. They do have a catch-all address at the convention headquarters in Scott Depot, West Virginia. That's in the story at Baptist Press. So if you're interested in that information, it's in the VP story on Cletus Campbell being named the interim executive director. And then finally, Amy, Augusto Valverde, the longtime leader of the National Hispanic Fellowship of Southern Baptist Churches, has passed away at age 71. He was the current president of the National Hispanic Fellowship of Southern Baptist Churches and had served in that post nine times since the early 2000s and also several years as its executive director. He was also one of the founding members of the new Southern Baptist Hispanic Leaders Council. So when when we say a longtime leader, he really has been. He was a pastor in Miami, but had some health issues in recent months. And so our condolences and prayers go to his family. A couple of the churches that he pastored in Miami, they uh, were responsible for planting more than 15 churches in Florida and in his native Argentina and in Nicaragua and Honduras. So that's going to do it for the news this week. Amy, that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy? Our minds. We're going to go back 94 years ago this week because that was the date of the decision in the trial, State of Tennessee versus John Thomas Scopes. Oh, so the Scopes Monkey yeah, Trial. The Scopes Monkey Trial. So it was decided on July 21st, 1925. And this is something that shows up in a lot of American history classes, but was really important to Southern Baptists because it was kind of a, a, a major moment in the fundamentalist modernist controversy that went beyond Southern Baptists, but it was a huge, huge turning point in our history and even, uh, you know, plays a role in some of the actions E.Y. Mullins took and where we ended up developing the Baptist faith and message in its initial form in 1925. And the Scopes Monkey Trial was a huge issue in the fundamentalist modernist controversy. So what I did is I pulled some sources. One, now, let me say Wikipedia is not the greatest academic source. Or an academic okay, source. Okay, it's not an academic source, but it's a good resource for people to get an overview. So if you're listening out there and you have kind of a memory of it from your class, uh, I've got the 
Wikipedia article in the show notes. But what I wanted to look at was how Southern Baptists sort of process this. So I've also got a link to the uh, Tennessee Baptist and Reflector because they sent a they sent a writer down there and have if you go the if you go to the link that we put up there it's you know a PDF that's scanned from that issue they had uh, starting on the second page modernism in action they did it as it was written it was kind of like a live blog of the experience starting July 14th and going through and then also in 1995 when they were at sort of the 70 year mark Baptist Press did a couple of articles about it I want to just make note of a few things you can go in the show notes and kind of read the details but I noticed a couple of things. Uh, one, the article in the 95 Baptist Press had some uh, some people who remembered it. I guess they were children. And they had an interview with Giles Ryan, who was 88 years old in this 95 Baptist Press. But I guess he would have been about 18 when that when the trial happened. And it says he remembered it all, the heat, the excitement, the baboons. And said that the news media came in and that some people actually brought in baboons and dressed them up like people and walked them around town to see how we'd react. A lot of grown-ups had never seen a baboon before. Because remember, this is over evolution. A teacher uh, at the high school was teaching it. And so they were arguing that it violated state law. And uh, that that had made it unlawful to teach human evolution. So the argument is over that because of this specific case with John Scopes, the substitute high school teacher. So people are bringing in baboons and walking them around town. Well, I went back to that Baptist and Reflector article, and it actually talks about that. It talks about some uh, trained chimpanzees, is what it says. Both happened to be named Joe, but their owners had very different views. So a ranchman in Kansas sent one of the chimpanzees specifically to show everyone how radically different he was from humans. So he would, I guess, be around to, he would do tricks and things like that, but came to to have publicity. The other Joe was by, was owned by a woman in California it said he has a white face, is shaved, dresses in human clothes, eat human, eats human food, sits at the table, and knows the rules of table etiquette. So they talk about this, that they had these monkeys walking around town. And it's interesting because both sides had them there. One to say, look at how much like a human he is. And the other side to say, look at how not like a human he is. I thought that was kind of fascinating, a little side of that story that you don't really hear. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be in Dayton that week. But um, it was a big deal for Southern Baptists everywhere and really, I think, set the trajectory for where we are today uh, because of how this event impacted us. And it all happened this week in SBC history. All right. Very cool. That's a big moment in, like you said, American history as well as Southern Baptist right. history. What well, what would you do if we had a big I mean we have big big things that go on. It kind of happens, you know, a lot of our stuff happens on social media, but if you were, you know, this big things happening in town, national media is everywhere and then you go into a restaurant or something and there's a chimpanzee sitting at the table. I don't really know. 
That's a little odd. I can't imagine. I would think, boy, these service animal rules have really gotten out of control. Yeah. Now, it does look like in one of these, the stories, the the reflection from the 88-year-old man in 95, um, it says that he he had, it says he had a ringside seat that he sold Cokes outside. So I guess a lot of the local businesses did, you know, he sold 10 cents a cup and he sold Cokes to Clarence Darrow, William Jennings Bryan and H.L. Mencken. So all the main people. Um, but everybody was so hot that they all went out and bought a Coke from him. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of neat. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? Uh, mine is, since I talked about this for the history moment, I found a book that's called this it's called scopes trial a photographic history so it's just it was published on the 75th anniversary and examines its continuing legacy now i i have not actually seen this i'm kind of interested in getting this myself so i'm gonna so i don't want to speak as to what perspective it was written from i would have a hunch that it might even be written from a different historical perspective than i might have However, I think photographic histories are uh, are real contributions. So I'm going to throw that in there. It came out on it came out in 2000, but you can still get it even in paperback. And uh, I think that would be kind of a cool thing to have. So I'm going to look into adding that to my list. My resource of the week this week is How to Pray, the new version of Dr. Ronnie Floyd's book on prayer that he released, I think, 20 years ago. I think there's a 20th anniversary version. He uh, I've got that this week, and so I've got the, the new hardcover copy of that. So that will be my resource of the week. Dr. Floyd, obviously, uh, one well-known for prayer, served as the National Day of Prayer president and has done a lot with that. So I am looking forward to reading the updated version of how to pray. I need to get this. I can probably get you a copy. I need, I would, I, he listens. I would like to read this. I think okay. this, well, yeah. I'm sure we can manage I this. Would, I would love to read this because I've told many people that is an area in the spiritual disciplines where I'm always wanting to learn and grow. Um, study of scripture has, has always come much more naturally to me than sort of the, the how to of praying. And so I think this would be an incredible resource. I want to get one of these. Yeah. Well, I, I bet we can manage that. So I bet you probably could even get an autographed copy. Oh man, we'll have to work on that. Yeah. Okay. So, well, he listens, so maybe he'll, he'll pick up on that. If not, I'm actually, I'm also happy. I'm happy to order a copy. I really, yeah. I, yeah. I'm looking at this right now as we record it. I'm looking at uh, online. Amazon has the sort of where you can look inside and it, I, and, and it looks really, really good. It's a very nice book. Yep. So. But all right, that's my resource of the week, and that's pretty much our show this week. So thanks again, folks, for uh, hanging with us each and every week. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Mm-hmm.